0: I am delighted to get to teach this morning. I am delighted that you are here. I am acutely aware of the difficult times that we face as a nation. I'm acutely aware of the difficult times the world faces. I'm acutely aware that the coronavirus is dangerous and that we have to take precautions and that y'all are doing that here and I'm appreciative of that but I want to make sure that we're prayerful for everyone who has contracted that virus and everyone at risk of contracting it and that we're doing what we can as God's people to stand up for what we know is best for everyone which includes good health before the Lord by and large, in the main, and so i 'm not teaching on it this morning, but i don 't want class to go by we 've got the president in the hospital we 've got a number of people i 've got friends and loved ones uh, who are in the hospital uh, or have been in the hospital and and I just want to make sure that we 're all noting that here um, and and noting it because we want to to be people of compassion. This coming week, I started doing video thoughts for the day because um, I wasn't getting to see you guys. And I thought while we were in quarantine, it might be a good way to stay in touch with you on a on a more routine basis. And get people used to clicking on the computer or something like that. Um, now that we're back in class, I've been asked, are you going to keep doing it? And I think I will for a while because we picked up a lot of people who are w- watching those. Oh, thanks. That's my sister. We've picked up a lot of people who are watching those. And, and I'm appreciative of that. But usually in those, I'll talk on Friday about what I'm going to teach about on Sunday to try and get, draw in some of those people to watch Sunday class. Today I'm flip-flopping that. I'm telling you what I'm going to talk about next week in the video thoughts for the day. God willing, I haven't filmed them yet. Next week's not here yet. But I'm I'm going to tell you today that next week I'm going to be talking about how we know someone is a Christian and how people will know that we are Christians. What are those markers that set us apart? And in a way... It's consistent with what I'm teaching in this class. Because in this class, we're talking about the law, but not from the perspective of what we learn in law school. Not from the perspective of the Judge Dread movies. Not from the perspective of do we eat pork or don't we? But rather from the perspective of the law being a reflection of God's holiness through a certain time and and process of history. And if we understand it that way, we'll begin to understand some of the laws were particular laws for Israel to follow to show that Israel was a holy or a chosen people set apart from the nations. God gave Israel signs. Circumcision was a sign for Israelite males to show that they were separate from the nations. Dietary laws were laws that were given to Israel to show they were separate from the nations. They were distinct people that were to be God's beacon into their world. Israel was blessed to be a blessing to the other nations. And Israel was given specific laws, some of which served the purpose of showing the national identity of god's people now we live in a day where as a christian family we are part of the family of god and we're to have specific attributes and traits that set us apart from the rest of the world Those I'll be talking about this coming week, I should have just filmed this because this could have been like the first three minutes of tomorrow's thought for the day. Maybe I can reduce it down so I can keep the thought to that four to five minute range I go for. But today our focus, and and we're having to do this incrementally because other than my sister and my mom and my brother-in-law Randy, maybe Janet, I think that's about it. Maybe coach, other than y'all, everybody would leave after about 45, 50 minutes of me talking, and the only, they're the only ones who'd stay here for the three hours I need to really put this together. So don't panic. we'll make church, we'll make singing in the choir, we'll make all of that today. I won 't go past nine or 10, 20 or so, 10,25. But, but um, I, I, I'm having to go incrementally and slowly. So these are on the internet. Thank you, internet team, for working so hard to make that possible. Don't hesitate to get on there and to look if you're wondering about something. I've also got these in written lessons, and don't hesitate to to grab that, and that should be available to you as well. Now, here's today's question. What do we do with the biblical law? Those laws that God gave Israel that are found in the first five books of the Bible. What do we do about those laws that God gave to Moses? Now, they include the Ten Commandments. And a lot of people, if asked how much of those laws apply today, what do you apply now out of the Torah? A lot of people would say, right now, all I'm going to apply are the Ten Commandments. That's all that applies to Christians today. If that is sort of your operating perspective, I hope to change your mind. If that is the way you've just sort of thought, yeah, I mean, obviously the Ten Commandments are still valid, I hope. change your mind in two different ways first I want to refocus on those Ten Commandments when we get to them because there's one that might be a real stickler to most of you today and that is to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy because the Sabbath ended last night at sundown well yeah but that's one we've edited So we got like the nine and a half commandments. We got the Ten Commandments in edited form. Well, there are some other things in the Old Testament law that I do hope we all believe are valid and binding on us today that aren't in the Ten Commandments. And I'll look at some of those later. But, this is a huge question I want us to address okay if if not all of it applies what parts apply today and then if we're gonna say okay well we'll apply some parts but we're not applying other parts how do we justify that how do we explain that how do we make logical sense out of what we're willing to apply and what we're not willing to apply Now, there are popular answers that seem to bridge the concern of how Christians today handle the Old Testament. But some of those popular answers may sound right, but they're not really supported by Scripture or logic. And so I want us to look at this today in three different points the first thing i want to cover with you is one of the bad answers to that question then just in case you're not ready to quit i want to give you a second bad answer and look at that before i suggest to you what i believe to be a better answer now i've told you before many of you are on the list and you know what i email out these lessons uh, when i do them in written form And I have not been emailing out any lessons in years that have prompted as many people writing back to me as these. One fellow wrote back to me and he said, well, I've never really thought about it, but I think I've always just believed bad answer number one. And I'm gonna be real interested to follow the series but will you make sure you include these scriptures because these are the ones that make me believe in bad answer number one I said absolutely and so I, I I get challenged on things and that's fantastic that's that helps sharpen my focus that helps me do a better job of communicating But it's really interesting. So, are you ready for bad answer number one? Bad answer number one, here it is. The law, the Old Testament, does not apply to us today because Jesus nailed it to the cross. That Old Testament died when Jesus died. You can take those Old Testament scriptures, whoops, scoot that over there, Let them rest in peace. They've been nailed to the cross. Now, this sounds good, but it's not, N-O-T, not supported by Scripture. I mean, it, it sounds real good. It sounds real convenient. Yeah, that's the Old Testament. We embrace the New Testament. Those are the scriptures for the Jews. We have the Christian scriptures. Well, that may sound right to some people, but that's unbiblical. There's a preacher who's gotten into some trouble because he has suggested that the church should unhitch itself And the New Testament from the Old Testament well that's just wrong may I say with all respect and I think we better shun this idea of unhitching the Old Testament and the New Testament from each other bring them back together please Let me use some authority for what I've got to say. Let's start with that lawyer, rabbi, apostle Paul. Trained in the law, practicing lawyer before the road to Damascus. When I say practicing lawyer, not Roman lawyer, Jewish lawyer. Under Jewish law and the temple system, he was a prosecutor for the chief priests. And later in his life, he wrote a letter to a young boy from a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. By the way, that makes this boy Jewish because Jewish lineage is established through the maternal line so there was this boy and 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 he came under Paul's teaching and he started going on mission trips with Paul and Paul took him in and called him his son in the faith this young man grows into an older man, and as Paul's close to dying, Paul sends him a letter. We call that letter, Second Timothy, because it's the second letter we have that Paul sent to this man, whose name was Timothy. And here's what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 of that letter. Paul says, all Scripture is breathed out by god and it's profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for the training and righteousness that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work now when paul wrote this and paul said all scripture paul is talking about the old Testament. Much of the New Testament hasn't been written. And it certainly hasn't been compiled into a set of scriptures. And while some certainly understood Paul's writings to be the word of God or to be holy or to be scripture, Paul doesn't reference his own writings that way necessarily. There's a slight indication he might in Corinthians. But regardless, here, there's no question, Paul's talking, in the main at least, about the Old Testament. And Paul is saying that the Old Testament, the law, all Scripture, it's breathed out by God and it's profitable. That's from Ophileo. Uh, uh, the Greek word means it's, it's uh, it could also be translated, it's, it's beneficial. It's useful for reproof. Reproof means correcting someone who's in error. <clears throat> They translate it reproof in the English Standard Version because the next word Paul uses is correction. And they don't want to say, for correcting an error, for correction. So they have to make it sound like different words. They are different words in the Greek. It's just Paul being emphatic. The Old Testament, the law, is useful. All Scripture is useful. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And you look at it and you say, yeah, but... All scripture I'm I'm not sure mark you can't convince me he's talking about the Old Testament there well look at what I've highlighted the red letters 16 and 17 that means we're looking at 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 and if you're looking at verses 16 and 17 you know what that means there's a 15 So while we may memorize it in the way that it's written up there, I would suggest we kind of beep, 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 back it up. That's my backup sound. Beep, 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 back it up. Let's back it up to here. Paul says, so that we get this in context, but as for you, Timothy, continue... In what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. The whom there is plural in the Greek. From all the places you've learned it, all the people you've learned it. And how, look at verse 15, from childhood. Briefos actually means infancy. And Paul's uh, saying it in the sense of since you were a little baby. That'd be the Lubbock translation. Lubbock would say, and how? Since you were a little baby, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You're not wise for salvation through those sacred writings themselves. The Old Testament was never, ever ever given to justify people before God that's some of why Christians say we should unhitch we should nail it to the cross it's gone now we're justified by faith through Christ we've always been justified by faith through Christ that's Paul's point in Romans Paul says for by faith you're justified and he says here's your example Abraham Make a chronological point here. Abraham is 400 years before the law is given to Moses. The law was never given to justify someone before God. As if God could play some little tricky mind game with himself. I'm going to give them this and if they are perfect I'll let them go to heaven. And God doesn't know no one can measure up to his holiness? The law was never given so people could be saved by it. It's a law of sin and death, and it's always been that. It shows us how we cannot be saved. It shows us that we cannot be holy. It shows us that death is our destiny, absent, divine intervention in some just manner. So when Paul says that the scriptures breathed out by God, it's still profitable. It's not profitable. It's not profitable for earning your salvation. Never was. It's profitable, though, for teaching you. You want to learn about God? You can learn about God reading the law. You want to learn about what you should do with your life? You can learn about that reading the law. You want to learn your value system? You can learn about that reading the law. Now, regrettably or fortunately, depending on how you see it, we live 3,000 years in an entirely different culture from that where the law was given. And we are not the nation of Israel. So we've got to read the law with understanding And not blindness we do not simply say okay can I'm on a soapbox I don't know how much of this I get through I'm sorry but I'm gonna stay on my soapbox for a moment so I was recording a podcast with a fella Christian fella I I, I won't identify him um, uh, right now the podcast will go on in November Um, I think, unless he decides not to. Um, And when he, I didn't know what the interview was beyond my book, Christianity on Trial. And there was a 30 minute interview and I was glad to do it. And he's a nice guy, great questions and all. And I hope he's okay with some of my answers because when I got on there, he said, I want to do three things. He said, first of all, I want to talk about your book, Christianity on Trial. Great, I'm ready to go. Second of all, he said, John MacArthur in California is getting prosecuted through the courts because they're having church without masks and without social distancing and uh, uh, you know that's unconstitutional to prosecute him and I want you to talk about that as a Christian lawyer this is California going left and I'm thinking well that's bait-and-switch I wasn't told I was gonna be talking about that but okay if you want my opinion on it I'll give it to you and then he said the third thing we're gonna talk about is the library I said all right I'm ready to go so we get through my book and we get to the California situation and he says it's unconstitutional or he asked me he didn't say it he said talk to us about that uh, because it seems that it could be I don't remember how he brought it up but the essence was giving me that opportunity to say yes the liberal left in California is out to destroy the church and the Constitution guarantees that the church can meet together whenever however they want period end of story we have freedom of religion in this country and I told him I said well understand constitutionally we have freedom of religion in this country true and the courts and the government are to guarantee our constitutional rights including that free exercise of our religious beliefs but the Constitution also guarantees people life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and so the courts have always said there's a balancing test between competing constitutional concerns. And the government has to uphold both in some competing manner. And so the government is has a weighing test. How much will we need to restrict the free exercise of religion to ensure... Health, safety and welfare and that's a weighing test under the law and that's why it belongs in the court system Um, I said let me give you an example if someone were to say to you and I think I thought this because I was working on these lessons if someone were to say to you I believe the Old Testament law should be followed today it's a religious belief I have. Well, one of the Old Testament laws says if you see someone practicing astrology or sorcery, you're supposed to stone them. So we get Madam Cleo and put her to death. I have a constitutional right to do that because it's a free exercise of my religious liberty to follow the law. And yet the government says, no, Madam Cleo has a right to her expression of what she believes the stars are telling her she has a right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness you can't just go kill her because she's a sorceress you have to weigh those I said so I can't answer how the weighing is going to turn out but I can promise you it'll get to the US Supreme Court that's best I can do So you you sit here and you can't just say, I'm going to follow the Old Testament law, all 613 commandments, because I assure you there are a bunch you don't want to follow. And there are a bunch you don't think you should follow. So what do we do with this? What do we do with Paul saying this? Well, before we answer, let's add some more authority to my position. How about Jesus? Jesus good authority here Jesus said don't think I've come to abolish the law don't think I came to nail it to the cross and it's gone I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets I've not come to abolish them I've come to fulfill them I'll walk in it I'll follow the law I'll keep the law I'll be perfectly holy before God and until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot will pass from the law. Until all is accomplished. How about this passage from Jesus? The law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. Since then the good news of the kingdom of God's preached and everyone foresees his way into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void now some people just read the first half of that and say see once John the Baptist came and proclaimed the kingdom of God the law is gone no that's not fair to this passage of Scripture that's taking it out of context just emphasizing the beginning What it says is the law and the prophets were until John. You had them all the way up till John. That's true. And since John, you've now got on top of the law and the prophets. The kingdom of God being preached. It's not saying it took the place of. He's saying on top of John, you've now got so you have the law and the prophets until John now on top of that you've got the good news of the kingdom of God being preached and everyone forces his way into it but that doesn't mean the law and the prophets are gone it's easier for earth and heaven to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void the law is the holiness of God it doesn't ever become void Look at the early church. Look at the earliest church. The church in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you've got the early church going to the temple. In Acts 2, when 3,000 people were added to the church. Scripture says in Acts 2.42 that they continued in the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. Prayer. But if you keep reading, you'll also see in verse 46 and day by day attending the temple together and then breaking bread, doing communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper in their home. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They weren't in the temple trying to destroy Judaism. They found favor with the people. If you keep reading, you'll see that the church had to debate in Acts chapter 15. This is well into a decade past, uh, a decade and a half past the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul's been out there with others, uh, uh, missionizing the Gentile world. Now all of a sudden, you got all of Goyim, Rick, coming into your, your place. And so the church is made up of the Jewish believers and the church is saying okay so these Gentiles what do we do with them should they have to become Jewish first should they convert to Judaism to be Christians or is God really opening this thing up to everybody and in that debate some of the people in the debate took one side of it and said hey we've got to circumcise all these Gentiles and, and order them to keep the law of Moses. And that's one side of the debate. And they debated about it, and they searched the Scriptures. Now, listen to me. If the law had been nailed to the cross, that side of the debate never would have been heard. I mean, the, the answer would just be, eh, well, we know the... It wouldn't even be a debate. What the church decided to do, and they said this was by the Holy Spirit. The apostles and the leaders of the church said, here's a limit of what needs to be done. And what they've really done is taken the core of the Old Testament law and applied it to the Greek culture. And we'll look at that as we go through this later. If you look and continue to read at the early church, Paul comes back and Paul is in Jerusalem and the, 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 the establishment Jews are upset with Paul. And so the Christian Jews say, hey, we need, Paul, you need to let everybody know that you're not out there in renegade land destroying the law of Moses. And so Paul says, okay, and and he's told these guys and these Christian believers, Jews, have have been working under a Nazarite vow. That's an Old Testament law vow, where for a period of time you say, I'm not going to touch anything that's got grapes in it, including wine, and I'm not going to let a razor touch my body. Long hair, whiskers, the whole thing. And some of the Jewish Christian believers had been living with a Nazarite vow for a period. When that vow is over, you go to the temple and you pay a tax or a sacrifice. And so they say, Paul, you go and do it. And look at the reason why. When you do this, Paul, everyone will know there's nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. When Paul was with Jews, he did to the Jews, he was a Jew. To the Greeks, he was a Greek. He, he, you know, the, these weren't unhitching the New Testament from the Old Testament. And so within the framework of that, you might be saying, but <clears throat> Mark, what about these passages like Romans 6.14 says the believer's not under law, but under grace. That's true. The law is not what justifies any of us. Never was. And we do walk under the grace of God and there is a freedom in that. But it doesn't mean the law is irrelevant, moot, or not to be read and studied and thought about. You might be saying, but but wait. In Ephesians 2.15, it says that Jesus was abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. you eh, got to be a little careful there. Because if it says Ephesians 2.15, do you know what that means? It means there's an Ephesians 2.14. In fact, there's an Ephesians 2.13 twelve eleven ten nine and we can start at least in 11 but let's start in 11 and see what Paul says in context Ephesians 2 11. <clears throat> therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called quote The uncircumcision close quote by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands the bris is done by hand it's not done by God or machine remember that you were at that time separated from Christ you were alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You didn't have a hope. You were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. Jew and Gentile, circumcised and uncircumcised. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There used to be great hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles to the Jews and the Jews to the Gentiles. And yeah, we can both be Christians, but we're going to go to a Gentile church and you can go to a Jewish church. And there was a great deal of hostility. Paul was a hostile part of the Jewish end of that for much of his life. Then we get to 15. Christ has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one man in place of the two, so making peace. He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. What Paul's talking about there is those laws that distinguished Israel and set them apart, Christ has abolished those for us Gentiles. They don't apply to us Gentiles. This is not God's got super holy people and just holy people. Gentiles are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. We are all first-class citizens, Jew and Gentile alike before God. And so when we understand that and when we see that, we begin to understand why Paul says things like Romans seven twelve: the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. We can understand and embrace what the psalmist said. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation night and day. So don't ever ascribe to the view the law doesn't apply because it was nailed to the cross. That's bad answer number one. Let me tell you bad answer number two. I'll go much quicker. Bad answer number two says the moral sections of the Old Testament law are binding on believers, but not the other sections. So just find the moral sections, and those will be binding. Now, this can be appealing. I was clearly hungry when I made this PowerPoint. I thought, what's appealing? A really good cheeseburger. (laughs) Uh, This can be appealing, but it begins to unravel very quickly. Because here's the lightning bolt to the question. What sections are moral? See, you've got to be real careful here. Now, some of them, you can say, um, this is clearly moral. Thou shalt not kill. So it's got to apply today. Some of them you can say are ceremonial. Um, kill the goat to atone for your sins. Doesn't apply today. the the problem we've got if we do this is that line of what's moral and what's not moral is kind of fuzzy in places let me give you an example here's Exodus 22 29 and 30 you shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and the outflow of your presses olive presses grape presses the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You'll shoot, do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. And for seven days the sheep stays with the mother, but on the eighth day you give it to me. Now, a lot of you don't have sheep, but I do. And I'm reading this, I'm thinking, ah. Well, where, does, where do you FedEx your sheep to for God. Is this moral or is this uh, ceremonial? Is this moral? You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Is that moral? Here's what we wind up doing. So we got to be really careful. We engage in something... That a scientist Janet Seifert in one of their peer-reviewed articles would call post hoc analysis now there are lots of post hoc fallacies post means after Um, hoc means this in Latin so post hoc means it's after something you're looking back at it and making your decisions And in science, that's not valid and it's not acceptable because what you want the decision to be will influence how you go back and look. Let me give you an example. If I were to say who is the greatest rock band in all of history, some might say the Beatles. But some would know better and would say, you too. And you might be saying, you too? Well, you can't say that. And then I would say to you, well, yes, look, here's criteria. The criteria for the greatest rock band in history will be the rock band that stayed together the longest. And you're saying Rolling Stones. No. And had hits in multiple decades. <laughs> Rolling Stones, bye-bye. They had two decades. You two, four. <laughs> Has played to the most people. And the most crowds and sold the most albums a combination of those factors well if I define the factors afterwards I'm gonna get you two as the answer if you define the factors before and then apply it it's not post hoc but if if then that's what we're doing when we look at the law and deciding what's moral we decide what sections are moral by what we think today should apply and shouldn't apply you got to be real careful. By the way, there are sections of the law that some people say, well, you don't apply just the moral sections. What you do, because you don't want to stone sorceresses, everything that hasn't been dealt with in the New Testament is old and it's gone. So you only apply the moral sections that are re-emphasized in the New Testament. So now you can't commit adultery and you can't lust. Now you can't murder, but you're not supposed to hate. Now you can't, you know, etc. Jesus says don't steal. You can find in the New Testament, Paul says don't commit adultery. You can find in the New Testament all the moral laws that are still binding. Everything else is vanished. Well, then you've got troubles because here's a law in the Old Testament if a man lies with an animal he'll be put to death and you'll kill the animal bestiality is a sin in the Old Testament in the New Testament it's not dealt with so do we just wash that away no I don't think any of us would suggest that's washed away I think all of us would suggest that's still wrong but put right next to it another one you won't sow your field with two kinds of seed nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material well I've got to take this off it's got two kinds of material in it 100% cotton shirt 100% cotton pants don't worry we're okay from wet my socks man I got to take the socks off you know I was gonna garden this afternoon but my problem is I've already got some kale out and today is the day to put out garlic I'm not supposed to do that in the same garden I mean what 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 do we do okay that's bad answer number two let me give you a better answer I believe and the better answer goes back to the key that we've talked about now for two weeks The biblical law reflected God's holy ethics in a way, in a manner, in a fashion, in a time and history moment that would guide Israel in that time and in that place of history to fulfill God's purposes. By walking in God's holiness. We've got to get into this next week. Or in the coming weeks. Because if we understand that God gave Israel this law as a reflection of God's holiness. Expressed in Israel's time, place, space of history. To fulfill God's purposes. Then. We've got the key to understanding not only why those laws are important or were important, but also which ones we need to find and follow today. We can train in righteousness. We can do those things Paul talks about in 2 Timothy. And so at the risk of engaging in post hoc analysis myself, I'm going to suggest to you that there are certain buckets that we can see for many of the laws of Israel. And we can consider them in these buckets. So there's a whole set of laws that I believe belong in the get along bucket. This is how does Israel get along with itself? How does Israel get along with their neighbors? These are the laws that deal with crime. What's illegal and what's not illegal? These are laws that deal with social justice. How should you treat each other? By the way, back then, their economy was different than our economy is today. They had people who were considered to be Eved, the Evedim. (laughs) The Eved is the Hebrew word that can be translated servant. Servant. Or slave and so there are laws that deal with people that we would my computer has just decided to reboot that's gonna make it really difficult to look at the other buckets but not impossible now so we've got this social justice bucket. And it will have things, almost blew that one too. I think it was a green bucket if I recall. The social, bus. Uh, I mean this bucket of get along, the get along bucket. We'll talk about how they needed to handle the issue of, of, uh, of treating their, their servants, what we would call slaves today. And they would treat them the following. Now that doesn't mean God approves of slavery. That doesn't mean anybody should have a slave. That also means if you've got a servant or someone who works for you in this economy, you better treat them with respect and right. Because that's the way God told them to treat the slaves. But if we read that and say, Oh, it hits from the Old Testament. It condones slavery. No, it didn't condone slavery. It was God explaining in that culture, in that time, and in that place, how those people should be treating each other. And we live with a greater recognition of the common humanity of everyone, and it expands our understanding of how God would have us treat each other with equality and love and compassion and all of those things. So you've got all of these laws that are in the get-along bucket. If you were going to law school today, this would include your your criminal laws. It would include your civil laws. What happens if my ox gores your ox or, worse yet, gores you? Um, It would include family law. How do you marry? How do you divorce? How do you remarry? I mean, and even that, this is a good example of what I'm talking about. Even the family law. Has Jesus saying, hey, the reason Moses allowed you to divorce is because of your hardness of heart. It was never God's plan. And so Jesus says, absent adultery, I don't want you getting divorced. But it's a recognition Jesus is giving a a good example of how the Mosaic law was God trying to deal with those fallen people in that fallen time, in their culture and in their day. In ways where they would be the people of God expressing God's, fulfilling God's will for Israel in that time and space in history. And so you've got immigration laws. You've got all sorts of laws here. Now, here's the deal. There are more buckets. There's probably three buckets, but I've expanded it to five. And that post hoc analysis stuff I told you I'm probably guilty of violating when I do this. One of the reasons it doesn't bother me so much is I'm telling you now, water slushes around in all of these buckets. And some of the things that are get-along laws are also laws that belong in the national bucket. Are there laws that have implication in the atonement bucket? Or in the ceremonial bucket? Or in the other buckets that I've got that I'm going to explain to you next week? But if we understand that the water can slosh around in these buckets some we'll begin to understand a little bit better about the law. All right, we got to end and let people get to choir. So uh, let me say this uh, in closing as I pray over us. Um, There are so many frontiers for us to explore before the Lord that illustrate his face to us. And I'm so excited to get to do that with you. I want to know more about God. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty for more about God. And I hope you are, too, because that's what we're going to have here. That's what this feast is being set before us. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you reveal yourself to us by illuminating our hearts and our minds to see you reflected in the laws that you gave in what we consider the Old Testament, to see how those develop and are expressed within the New Testament and apply them in our world today. That is our prayer through Jesus. Amen.